Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like the pod, please rate us, review us, subscribe, smash that subscribe button. We'd appreciate it. And hey, just tell one person about the podcast. We would really, really appreciate it. Yes, we would be very, very grateful. Follow 440 Sports as well. 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook at 440 Media on Instagram as well. Big show planned for you guys today. Chris Mason, C Mace, going to join us today. Television color analyst for the Nashville Predators, of course, and just a lot of really interesting topics as it pertains to how to broadcast, uh, of course, a hockey game off a monitor, but really how we got into the game, the style of a hockey broadcast compared to other sports broadcasts as well. Uh, how do you talk about players that aren't particularly playing that great right now? <laughs> so a lot of really fun stuff. And he's a great he's a great guy. I love talking with him. So really fun conversation coming up with uh, Chris Mason. C-Mace is one of the more enjoyable guys in uh, in Nashville broadcasting. Uh, I, I, I really I think he's a really good analyst, but I, just as a personality, I, I like him a lot. He's a funny guy. Uh, he's very down to earth. And uh, I, I appreciate kind of like what he's trying to do as an analyst and he'll get into that, but uh, just kind of the perspective that he's got, he's always a goalie and, and, and he, he really, really brings something interesting to the predators broadcast. Uh, so we'll give you a little preview of that conversation in just a second, but want to remind everybody lame stream sports, of course, brought to you by Jasper. So if Jasper! you're going to rate, <laughs> I stepped all over it. If you're going to rate, if you're going to review, if you're going to subscribe and you're going to share it because you do enjoy the show, we will ask you to go to Jasper's and spend some of your cashola on some really, really good food. You're going to get more than your money's worth at Jasper's. It's a great place to watch a game, be socially distanced, 9,000 square feet, free parking. I have I have been told it is the next evolution of the sports bar. Somebody keeps saying that. I, I, I wouldn't dispute it. I haven't heard it on this podcast yet. You said it. Next evolution of the sports bar. There you go. I've, I've now heard people say that. About 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 Jasper's. Uh, anyway, go to Jasper's. They got a grab and go market, huge huge bar, uh, nice dining area, free parking, library and lounge, free parking, uh, grab and go market, free parking. Free parking. <laughs> it's, it's got a lot of free parking. Uh, no, really cool vibe place, man. Good place to go have a drink and, and um, eat some really good food and and uh, watch some Predators games. Which of course, uh, Chris Mason. This is we're recording this on Thursday. We normally record this on Thursdays, and Chris Mason is going to call a game on Thursday evening against the Detroit Red Wings. And the Predators are, in theory, when you're hearing this, we don't know if they're still streaking or not. But this is sort of a pretty critical time for the franchise, and we wanted to talk to Chris about, you know, w- what is your role as an analyst? You have relationships with players. You have. We'll talk a lot about broadcast in general, but just. This moment in time right now for Nashville Predators fans is a tricky one to be a team employee and having to analyze the, the team itself. Absolutely. The, there is some question uh, I think most fans have of what this team will look like in a, in a few months <laughs> or, or, you know, next season uh, or even, you know, or on as, Monday or, or, you know, as we head into the deadline, if they're going to get broken up or not. And I, and I, and the predators are an interesting thing because they've gotten so big and they've grown their fan base so much around this core of players. It'll be really interesting to see if a Forsberg, for instance, becomes part of a rebuild and is shipped off someplace else, kind of how fans react to that. It'll be, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a really kind of pivotal time to be a, to be a Preds fan. Well, and we didn't touch on this a whole lot with Mike Keith. Go back and listen to that episode. Love talking with him uh, about being on a play-by-play role, but we definitely talked about this with Jonathan Hutton. If you go back and listen to our very first episode, uh, you know, you have so much inside information and frankly, Tony Husband as well. Another great episode. Go listen to all the shows, basically. Um, There's just a very delicate balance between, you know, you have to toe a line when you are an employee of the team trying to tell a story, but also being loyal to your audience and, and trying to give them the best possible analysis that you can. And so I, I don't envy people in that role. You know, I didn't have to ever do that. I, I called some like USL soccer games one time and it was, it was fun, but like the, these guys have to toe some really delicate lines. Um, but it, you know, we cover a lot of other stuff too, how we got into broadcasting, what makes Nashville special for predators fans, how difficult it is to, you know, his style where he came up, with all of his style and his flair and his personality. So there's a lot more there, there, but we wanted to focus on how difficult it is right now to be a broadcaster of a team that is 
entering such a critical stage. Stand by. Listen for, listen to C-Mace. He's a good he's a really good interview. This was this was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Without further ado, here's our conversation with TV color analyst for the Nashville Predators, Chris Mason. Chris, welcome to the show. We do appreciate your time, man. How are you, buddy? Good to see you. I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's fun. Uh, glad hockey's back, and it's actually uh, see the sun shining in. It. It's actually nice out, and there's not snow all over the ground. So I, I could, honestly couldn't be better. Awesome, uh, Chris. I have I have one kind of important question as a Preds fan, not less, not as kind of a media question. Just tell me it's going to be okay. <laughs> It's going to be okay, Steve. <laughs> got you. No, honestly, though, that's that's my – I always feel that way. I'm always optimistic about any situation because at the end of the day, um, maybe, you know, there's been parts of this season where it hasn't been, and you think, oh, man, we're going to have to sell off. We're going to have to do all this stuff. But I, I, I still think they have a good team, and, and they're playing well right now, and um, I think it's going to be okay. It's it's the storylines of the season. That's what I love about it. It's, if if they won every game and it was all, uh, you know, hunky dory, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be fun. So you you always need the drama. But yes, Steve, oh, it will be okay. Oh, I, I could stand <laughs> I could stand for the boring monotony of an undefeated season. Okay, let's just put that out there. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, of of which, of course, has never happened. Um, now, so again, we're going to talk a lot of stuff here with you today, Chris. We'll we'll get into you know what it's like calling games off of a TV monitor and 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 sort of how you got into the business of going from goaltender to broadcaster and and sort of like why you wanted to do that. So we'll get into some of that. But we did just we did just mention the team itself, and you do have a role as a guy who has to analyze what you see every night uh, on the ice. And, you know, at times it's not going to always be great. And so I, I think it's it's fascinating to hear your perspective on how you go about doing that. When you see something that's the team's not playing well or they're not winning games or a player does something sort of, you know, where like, ah, oh, man, that's not exactly what he should have done. How, how do you what's your sort of what are your guardrails? What's the philosophy as a broadcaster on the team when you see something that's not great and you have to say it like what, what's sort of your philosophy there? Yeah, honestly, that's a great question because this is one of the things that I really um, thought about before I did this job. And I, I wanted to um, have my own way of doing it because I see a lot of guys and sometimes when they're not playing good, you know, fans always like, hey, you got to, you know, you got to say it how it is and you got to you got to rip them and this guy and it's unacceptable and all these types of things. But there's more than one way to do it. And my approach was it to was to, uh, you know get on a level where I'm in the dressing with these guys and I'm going to try to criticize it in a way that, you know, is on that level as a player, what I would do to one of my teammates, obviously some of the words, you know, you might, depending on the situation, you might choose a little differently, but um, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go and rip somebody. I'm not going to say this is unacceptable because, you know, at the end of the day, I know the guys are trying as hard as they can, but you have to bring attention to things that aren't working and that they aren't doing good and they have to correct. And you know, that, given the opportunity, they're going to see this on the video the next day in practice from their coach. Anyway, they know as soon as they do something, but I'm also very aware um, that there's parents watching. So they, they watch every single game. I know mine did. And you know, that's not the front of my focus of when I'm analyzing a game, but that it is how I choose my words. You know, I'm not gonna, I work for the team. I'm not going to go out there and bash them. But at the same time, I also want to find the balance of keeping my credibility as an analyst because I said, well, you know, this and you're making excuses for guys that I never want to do that. But I am very conscious of the words that I choose and the way that I try to break down my critical analysis. But, you know, at the end of the day, especially this year has been um, we've had a lot more of that. And it, maybe even last season, too, where the team was underachieving, um, you know, given their roster and expectations. You, you have to, you know, you have to bring attention to the things that aren't working because then, you know, I lose all my credibility, but I try to do it in a way where it's constructive instead of bashing somebody. The, the effort thing is, is an interesting baseline to have because you're starting with the assumption that these guys are giving their max, maximum effort. They're professionals. They are trying to, they're trying to execute something and maybe that execution is bad, flawed, wrong, didn't happen or whatever else. Do you ever do you ever see lack of effort on the ice, and and can you call that out? 
I, you know, there's times where, yeah, I do. And, you know, there's times where I, I watch, especially it's easy live. And I'm sure we're going to get into that later, but live, I can see when the guys are at home, if a guy's changing hard behind the scenes, you know, I could say, Hey, like, you know, skate, you gotta skate to the bench. You gotta get your, you know, get your guy out there quicker. So I, I can see those types of things. And, you know, part of the effort working hard and working smart, I think kind of go hand in hand. You can work hard without purpose. And at the end of the day, you're probably not going to accomplish a whole lot if you're not, you know, smart and efficient in what you're doing. So you don't have to skate around like a banshee the whole time to, to look like you're, you're working hard. You can be more efficient and be smart and be in the right spot and, and pick your, your, your time to, to go and give that full maximum effort. So try to watch all those things. And, uh, you know, this season, I feel in particular, the guys are working hard and it wasn't going well. But I don't think they were working smart a lot of the times when they're, you know, it was kind of the big roller coasters. So I try to to bring that, you know, if I can, you know, I don't have a ton of time during the game to talk about it. I just, you know, I got to get it, get it, get in, get out. And that's a challenge to really, you know, get everything that I want to get out across to the fan base. But um, that's a good point, Steve, because, uh, you know, working hard and working smart are two different things. But, you know, to be effective and, and to really have success, you have to have both. I really want to ask you because a hockey broadcast is there's very, very little downtime in a hockey broadcast. So I do want to ask you how you sort of prioritize your time in just a second, but walking that line of, you know, your audience is Preds fans. They're watching, they want to hear the reality, the real stuff from you because that's your job, but also you have relationships and you, you're an employee of the team and you're, 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 there's a respect level. Don't make it personal. I, I find that almost impossible to do perfectly. So there's got to be a time where maybe you you saw something that was planned or unplanned. Like, have you ever had a moment where you thought, man, I, I analyzed something in a way, and I don't mean like disrespectfully. I just mean like maybe there was an inaccuracy in, in, an, in, a, in a moment where you talked to somebody after the game or the next day and a player was like, hey, actually, you know, so this was actually designed that way and we actually meant to do that and blah, blah. Does that make sense? Like, was there ever a moment where you did something and then a player came to you the other day, the next day and said, hey, this is, let, let me, let's talk about that. Yeah, I, I haven't really had that, but I've, I've, you know, when I first started this job, it was, it was really weird because I played with half the team and I still, there's still some guys that I played with um, and they were younger players, but you know, you still have that relationship. And then, you know, now I'm, you know, the eye in the sky and it's such an easy game from up top. And I'm also very aware of that too. You know, I like when they have those cameras, a ref has a camera and you actually see how little time these guys have. And I try not to forget about that, but to your question, I haven't had that yet, but I, I tell the guys too, um, especially the ones I know, or if I'm talking to the, the new newer players that I meet, I said, if I ever, you know, say something that's inaccurate, I'm like, Hey, come to me, tell me, I'm like, I, I want to get it right. I want to be you know, on the same page and try to, you know, paint the, the best and the most accurate picture that I can for our fans. So um, I'm, I'm aware of that. And, and I, I guess like everybody, like you guys, you always want to, you want to get it right. If you're wrong, I'm sure you guys, I'm, I know, I know you, especially Braden, you got no problem if someone, you know, tells you and you're like, I'll be the first to admit if, if I get it wrong for sure. So I, I believe you just that. said that I'm wrong a lot. That's what I think you just said. No, I don't. I just, <laughs> no, I actually, I, I, I tend to agree with you quite often, but, uh, no, In fairness, I'm also, the first one to admit when Braden is wrong. So yeah, no, you got, there you go. You got the yin and the yang. You, you balance each other out. Talk to me a little bit about the a tra- about the transition. You were a player, and going deciding to go into a booth is 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 a very deliberate decision. You know, not everybody does it well. What did you What did you think? You're at the end of your career. Uh, how did you want to plan for post post career? And did you always see yourself as like trying to get into a broadcast booth, or was that kind of a a, a later a later in career decision? Well, it was, it was honestly, it was something that when I played uh, for the Preds back in the day, my boss now, Bob Cole, um, he tried uh, this thing in the third period where they'd put a headset on a goaltender and you talk, I'd talk to Pete and Terry and, you know, that segment seemed to be pretty well received by the fans. And it was something, I think it was the first time they ever did it in hockey and, um, you know, it went pretty good and I had a pretty good rapport with, with those two. And, he approached me near the end of my career and said, Hey, you know, if you ever, you know, move back to Nashville and you ever consider trying out uh, broadcasting, you know, we, we'd love to, to try out. And, you know, at the time I was like, yeah, don't worry, I'm, I'm going to be playing forever. So probably, <laughs> probably not right. Like every athlete thinks that. Right. So, but, but then later on in my career, he circled back to me my last year 
uh, and the National Hockey League was, was with Nashville in, in 2013 and, it, and he touched base with me again and he said I don't know what your plans are but again I wanted to, to, to ask you that there's there's interest here so if you'd like to do that um, we'd love to to try out and so I played a couple more years in Europe moved back to Nashville had an opportunity to uh, be a developmental goalie coach with uh, with the Winnipeg Jets and I could have done it from here so um, I considered that I just didn't want to travel that much and you know, be away from the family and all those types of things. So I did the broadcast temporarily with Brent Peterson. I split it. And at first it was, it's hard because well, it was hard for me anyway, because I, I was missing that competitive thing that I had in my life every single day. So I really, I really struggled with that at first. And I'm like, man, I don't, I just don't know if I could do this. Cause I, I just, you know, I, I felt like I needed that. I felt coaching might give me more of an opportunity to be on the ice, be on, you know, making an impact with the guys and the players and being in the same environment. But once I got into it and the biggest part for me was the people that I worked with, they, they're just, they're the best. They're, they're my new team. And I, I, I saw that the, the passion that they had was the same that I have as a player, uh, the love of what they do, the camaraderie, the way that you work together. I love asking questions like, how do I get better? Especially in a, in a you know, industry that I really didn't know much about other than I watch hockey and that I did interviews before. That's, that's my only prep that I had for that. Um, so I actually, I fell in love with it and I, and I, I love what I do. And now, you know, I, I don't even, I don't even see myself as a hockey player. I see myself as a broadcaster now. So it's, uh, but at first, so it was, it was a really tough transition just to get over, you know, the acceptance that I wasn't going to be playing hockey anymore. And you have to go into this kind of new world that I didn't really know a lot about, but I, I've, I've fallen in love. What, what would you say was the toughest part of the broadcast itself in the moment? And then what, what is the biggest difference now? Like now that you've been doing it, what, what do you, what do you see in your own game? So to speak, right? Like where have you made the biggest changes? Well, at first, especially when you get in the TV, it's okay. Look at the camera. You have to talk for 30 seconds. I don't know what 30 seconds, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know how long is 30 seconds. And then you're getting panicked <laughs> and someone's, someone's talking in your ear and they're like 10. And you know, at that time I still have like five more things I want to say. And you know, you kind of get into organizing your thoughts and then verbalizing them and all those different things. So everything was so new. That was, that was tough. And that was an adjustment. I, I feel like now that I, I have a better understanding of the timing and what I can say and how deep I can get in a certain time that's allotted. And the other thing was at the, one of the biggest things they, they, the criticism that they had for me was you get your energy level up, get, you know, if, if you're excited, then the fans are excited. And, you know, I felt I was, uh, I'd only have like a couple seconds during a play or if it's on a regroup or something like that, I got to get in and got to get out. And then on the goals too, getting more excited for that and, and get your, you know, get the, your, in, in your inflection or whatever inflection in your voice up to a, a standard that is going to be exciting for the fans. So I had to work on that too. And I feel that I have a better understanding of, of those elements now and how I can try to take the next step. And, you know, I'm calling down to the truck to clip certain things and then trying to do more telestration stuff and just trying to, you know, take it to the next level every time I can is not all at once, but just, you know, step by step and gradually. And I feel like I have more of an understanding of kind of how everything works. You ever listen to those first tapes? I, I don't know if you guys listen back to yourself, but I, I hate watching myself on TV. I hate listening to myself, but it's something that you have to do. I feel like I, if I want to get better, I have to, I have to watch myself. I did that when I played um, visually uh, and listening to it, you know, as a hockey player, that was such an instrumental tool for me in my game. And that's no different in, in the broadcasting. You have to watch it back. You have to see, Hey, I actually, I like that. Let's, you know, let's keep continue to do that. Or like, ah, that, that didn't work. Let's, let's cut that from the repertoire and move on and try something else. So we, we do often watch, we'll go back and watch certain opens or segments or different clips of that nature to try to, to try to get better. And, I hate doing it, but I know that I have to. So it's, it's oh, a I, lot. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, Steve does not understand this, but I, I absolutely hate air checks, which is what we call it in our world. And I just, I hate it. I hate listening to myself. Oh. I, can't, I can't stand it. I love being able to find things that I notice that I can get better at. I mean, that's, and that's, it's actually a really, I'm not sure I ever actually thought about this, but an athlete has to go through such a routine self-evaluation visually. 
like visually in every sport, NFL, whatever, you you have to visually watch yourself screw up to yeah. sort of fix it. And that's a very unique skill that's 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 u- unique to sports and athletes, but also very much a part of the broadcast business. There's no question those two things overlap. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you, I, I know when you're talking in the middle of your your thoughts or whatever you're saying, you're not, you know, you're not looking at it from a different outside perspective. When well, you can sit back and you actually listen to yourself and how you're formulating thoughts, and you know, you guys know it's like you might be thinking something in your head and it doesn't come out the way that you want to, or you're not articulating it quite the way that you'd like to. And um, I listen to a lot of other, you know, radio personalities. I, listen, I watch a lot of other broadcasts to see how other people explain things. And as you guys know, the biggest part that the biggest advice that I got was just be yourself. Don't try to be um, somebody that you're not. I, you know, my predecessor and I worked with him a lot with Stu Grimson and he's a lawyer. So his vocabulary, <laughs> the way that he explains things is, is immaculate. And I can't do that. I'm from Canada. I got a high school education and I am what I am. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it, but I, it's, you know, you, you see a lot of guys or I did when I was really coming into the business that, you know, maybe you could just tell they're not comfortable or they're trying to be something that they're not. And I just wanted to be myself and, you know, hopefully like anybody in this business, connect with your fan base and, and have that kind of feeling where, Hey man, you're just having a beer with Mace and, you know, we're talking, we're watching hockey together. So that's kind of, that's kind of my vibe. And, and, and Stu also is like a philosopher too. Like he, he'll yeah. throw in some like Thoreau and some, like he's quoting yeah, he, Walt, he, Walt Whitman in the middle of the third period. Like yeah, he's next level. He, he, <laughs> he like, he does. Oh, he paints such a good picture and the way he, explains he's just so articulate and well-spoken and um, so so i want to get into sort of getting in and out like you just talked about in a broadcast because you don't hockey is so different than every other sport but you you talked about being yourself and you certainly have a visual stylistic flair to you i don't know how you would describe your own fashion your own style i'll let you do that Uh, my question is was that always part of your like who you were as a player was that something you kind of pre- conceived going into broadcasting hey i'm gonna like hockey also has some pretty vibrant television personalities with the crazy jackets and stuff like was that always something you thought you were gonna do or did you evolve into that i kind of you know i've always when i played and during my playing days hockey was such a kind of traditional sport and it was really shunned upon to show a lot of personality and to do those types of things and i think near the end of my career now you know they're encouraging that and I always, I always love that stuff. I always love, I, I think fans love to see a guy's personality. It just helps you. You want to cheer for that person a lot more. If you say, Hey man, that guy, I didn't know that the guy plays video games or, you know, he dresses like that. You know, it just, it's just a different level of connection. I find, um, you know, I remember when I used to play, like you couldn't look in the stands, you couldn't wave to your kids because the coach would be like, Hey, you're not, you know, thinking about the game. You're not doing this. And you know, all those types of silly things, which seem ridiculous now, but I was never on social media until I got this job and to go hand in hand with what you're asking is I, I took this, I'm like, all right, I don't know how to do social media, but what I know I'm going to do is I'm going to have fun with it. I'm going to do stuff that I never got the opportunity to do while I played. Um, I, you know, in high school and junior high, I took drama class and, you know, I loved those. I was in a musical and, you know, did all that kind of stuff growing up. So I wanted to really, you know, show that side of my personality and I, I have fun doing it and our whole crew does. And that's kind of like the outfits. I'm like, all right, like I dress, like I wear a t-shirt and jeans and a hat every day. That's I'm the most boring dresser. <laughs> but when I, when I go, you know, when I go on the broadcast, I'm like, all right, you know, I want to look professional. I'm, I don't, I just kind of make it up as I go. I, I'm not going to be too ridiculous, but I want to get as much gold on there. Or, you know, I like wearing vests. And so I just kind of have fun with that. So I, I just think it's, it's a good opportunity to, to show personality and just, uh, I guess, get your own kind of vibe or whatever, but it was, wasn't really, I guess it was a conscious decision, but it was kind of just like, all right, I'm, I'm just going to do this. Just kind of what I wanted to do. Does Willie ever look over at you and think, God damn it. He's blowing the curve. Like I I have to, I have to do something else. Yeah. His wife always says, his wife, Aaron always says, I'm trying to get Willie to wear more stuff like that. And, you know, do things like that. And Willie, he's upped his game. He's upped his game though. But um, no, I just try to, I mean, I'm on there. I'm not a handsome, I'm not a handsome man. So I gotta, 
I got to compensate somewhere. So maybe a nice uh, tie and a vest will do the trick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know where you get your jackets. If you want to give a plug out here, you can, you can plug where you get your jackets if you want to, but uh, I, you never know what you're going to get out of C-Mace uh, on the broadcast. That's for I sure. I get them anywhere. I get them any, like I, anywhere. I got some custom ones. I'm not allowed to wear them anymore, but uh, a friend that does uh, uh, the stitching and all that, she, I just got her to do a bunch of designs on just the jacket I get at Nordstrom or, you know, wherever. Um, I, there's no particular place. I just kind of, if I see something in Dillard's or whatever, I'll, I'll get it. <laughs> Kenneth Cole reaction. Then you, I, I used to have the patches on there too with the, the Preds flare, but I, I'm not allowed to wear those either. So kind of had to scale it down a little bit. <laughs> Lamestream sports is brought to you by Jaspers. That's Jaspers. Everybody. He said Jaspers. He was very far from the microphone, but he said Jasper's. Just trying not to blow out your uh, your speakers. Yeah, you're very considerate. It's a wonderful place to eat a great meal and watch a sporting event. Or not watch a sporting event. It's a great place to eat a meal no matter what. Uh, free parking, great menu. Deb Paquette, of course, is a, a fantastic chef who designed the menu. Uh, the food is excellent. The cocktails are great. There's a gold standard cocktail as well. I, I do think, though, that, Steve, when you go to a to watch a game – at a place like Jasper's, an amazing place like Jasper's. I tend to focus on appetizers. They call them shareables. And what you'd expect from the next evolution of the sports bar. A hundred percent, precisely. And so I thought, I was looking at this list and I thought we should do a, like a, an appetizer draft here, a shareables draft here. And I want to see where your priorities fall as a sports food consuming expert that you are. And and ja and Jasper's is a great place to do this, of course. I think you're calling me fat, but go no, ahead. no, you are a food writer and a sports writer. You know what I mean? All right, let's do it. I'm looking at the menu. If you would like to follow along at home, play the at home game. Call <laughs> it up on your phone. Drafting your appetizers. So I will give you the first pick out of the kindness of my heart. In my mind, there, there's only one first pick. It's oh, no. cast iron cornbread. Okay. You can get it with you can get it with uh, multiple things on it. You can get it with my favorite. Red onion bacon jam. Slather it on there. You're good to go. So good. It's so good. I will go with firecracker wings. The mango chili sauce, coconut yogurt. They are. I have to have chicken wings. It's number one on my list of things that I eat during a sporting event. And Jasper's wings are phenomenal. That mango chili sauce, a little sweet, little little heat. Great. I'm going to take firecracker wings. It's a good choice. My uh, my second spot is going to be sweet potato barbecue fries. It's it's sweet potato waffle fries. It's they pile they pile pulled pork and scallions and pickled onions and drizzle all sorts of good stuff over the top of it. It is fantastic. Now can I call you fat? Yeah, yeah you can call me fat. <laughs> I dream in pulled pork, so uh, that's fair. But I'm coming back to the shrimp and goodies, which is one of my favorite things on the entire menu, not just Good the share solid, not just solid. the shareables. It is a delicious light start to your meal. Fantastic. Chilled shrimp, whipped amarillo potatoes, avocado, carrots, capers, cilantro, red onions, tossed in a ceviche sauce. Are you kidding me? Thanks for the authentic uh, pronunciation there on the potatoes. Appreciate yeah. that. Or I could have just said yella. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm gonna go uh with my third pick i'm gonna go meatballers Ooh, nice. underrated this is really underrated so so they're beef and pork meatballs they come with a smoked white bean sauce and it is so delicious i can't this is the steal of the draft that it is made to the sixth pick of the shareables in our appetizer jasper's draft queso chips and rinds and there's a, there's good queso out there in the city but a lot of times it can weigh you down, let's say. <laughs> it, it, it congeals awfully quickly on the insides. And then it starts repeating, and that's never Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it goes the other direction. But th this particular queso is so smooth and light. You know, you know how you can tell it's good queso? If it sits on the table for like a good 30 minutes and still is very saucy and creamy. You know what I mean? Like it hasn't turned into a block. There's no congealing going on. Queso chips and rinds, cheesy goodness mixed with black beans, salsa, chorizo, and cilantro. It is one of the best quesos I have ever had. So right now I've got wings, shrimps and goodies, and queso on my team. I'm going to come back at, at you with nichos. Uh, it's four big nacho chips, and they're, they're slathered on there with uh, lamb barbacoa, some verde hot sauce, a little queso fresco, green onions, some, some pickled raisins and cilantro. 
it's like somewhere between like the waffle fries with the pulled pork and and the nachos. It's just like a great combination of stuff. So you've got lamb barbacoa, pulled pork, and beef and pork meatballs. Yeah, and cornbread. You're on. You're on brand, my man. You're on brand. <laughs> I'm gonna go masa. I'm I'm taking in our Jasper's shareable draft. I'm taking the masa dog enchiladas, all beef corn dog smothered in mole sauce, jack cheese, verde sour cream, green onions, and queso fresco. So we just talked about one section of the of the menu. Okay, so that doesn't even include the flatbreads. That doesn't even include the handhelds. That doesn't even include the award winning desserts. All that good stuff. So so what we're trying to say is go to Jasper's. Check out the menu. It's phenomenal. Free parking. Tons of space to be socially distanced. Great place to watch a game. Go to Jasper's. All right. So, and, and I had this conversation with Hal, Hal Gill as well, when, when he first started doing radio and we were kind of just talking about how difficult it is to ha- ha- be, be sort of next to someone trying to tell the story about what's happening. And radio is a little different, obviously, than television because people can see it. But it's just, there's not a lot of time. It's not, baseball is just all downtime, right? Like baseball, there's a lot of downtime in football for the analysts to, to come in and explain what they just saw. What is the strategy behind analyzing what you see in hockey as far as the quickness, the tempo, the pace, how you know when something's important, knowing when to get out of it? Like, just explain that process a little bit. Yeah, and that's and that was something that I, I really had to work hard at because you know, we're talking about Stu as someone that can get in and they're articulate, they can explain it quickly and get out. I want to try My goal is to try to give something, if, you know, everybody knows all oh, Philip Forzer just made a great shot. Why was it hard for him to get that shot off? What made it difficult for the goalie? You know, just something that takes it to a level where, you know, a play that you might not see a different level or a layer to it and what made it special that he was able to get that shot off or what the defenseman did to allow that lane to open up or how, you know, just one little thing that I can kind of bring to it that might bring a different perspective to that play. I try to do that as quickly as I can. And like you said, though, depending on the player, the scenario, how much time you have, but I always have to get out. If there's going to be on a face-off in the offensive or defensive zone, just in case there's a goal. Cause we, we cannot, that's what I've told. We cannot miss goals. So every time that there's, if I'm still talking and there is a turnover and a scoring chance, I'll, I'll just say, Oh, here we go, Willie, or something like that. Just to, even if I'm mid thought or mid sentence or whatever to get out. So we don't miss that. So you always have to be, you know, very, uh, very aware of what's going on on the ice, obviously. But I just try to give something that maybe, you know, the casual fan wouldn't know, or maybe something from a goalie's perspective. Obviously, I can talk a lot about that, um, you know, in, in uh, quite good detail. But I try to give something that's, you know, not over anybody's head and, and just something that's like, oh, that's kind of cool. I didn't know that if I can. How's the pandemic changing this? You're doing a lot of games off uh, off a screen right now. Tell people what you're looking at as you're calling the game. Do you have only you uh, do you have only the 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 same television view? Or do you have additional angles that you have access to that you can see more of the ice? And and is it hard to to call something when you can't see the whole flow of a game in front of you? Yeah, it it is harder because especially for the the road games we have I have a monitor. And that's the one, all the ads and all the, you know, the elements that are coming up, come up. So that one changed all the time. That's one I try to watch, but as soon as they bring up an element, that's going to be showing a break or the next whistle or whatever, there's a little, my little telestration monitor that I have there. And so I'm watching there and, and it is hard because you don't see any of the stuff behind the play and you don't see necessarily who's all on the ice or who that pass came from or who it could potentially go to. So for Willie, He's doing the play, but I don't know. He does such a good job. It's it's. I was on uh, quarantine protocol, so I got to watch some games and some of the road games. You didn't even know it; just felt like they were there. So those play by play guys, uh, they do an unbelievable job. So, it, but it's it's easier for me because I get to see it after it happens a lot, especially if there's replay situations. But it definitely makes it more challenging because you just don't have the whole perspective of, of the game, and a lot of stuff happens behind the play that leads to the the next play. So that, that's I think we're missing out on that. Um, which makes it difficult. But again, for me, I just tried to, you know, stay with it. And, and my analysis usually comes after it happened anyway. I mean, so, hockey is such a stretched game as yeah. compared to NBA where, I mean, the, the cluster will move from one end to the other. And that's certainly true 
somewhat in the NHL, but between changes and, and goalie play, you're there, there's a lot that we're not seeing as fans that, that we do, that we depend on, on, you know, kind of eyes in the sky to be able to tell us what's going on. I was wondering if the, if being a goaltender helps or hurts kind of in this situation, because you, because when you were on the ice, you always had kind of a weird view of the game anyway. And if, is there anything about being a goaltender that, that you can bring in there? Yeah. I mean, I think as a goaltender, you know, you see a lot of goalie analysts, I think. And because when you're playing, you're, you're, you study every part of the game, you're in the power play meeting, you're in the penalty kill meeting, you're, you're, in, you're involved in everything that goes on and you're always, you know, communicating with your forwards, defensemen, and you really have to understand the game, what the other team is trying to do, how they're trying to exploit you. And, you do it like we talked about earlier, you do a ton of video. So I think as a goaltender that you have a, a real good understanding of the you know, strategies, how the game works, perspective from a forward, uh, the communication, the relationship you have with your defenseman. Um, so I think that's why you probably see a lot of goaltenders um, in this position because of that, and because they have the broad understanding. I'm not saying other players don't, but you can't really ask a player to break down a goaltender. It's a, it's a different kind of thing. Obviously I can get, I can, I can nerd out on when I talk about goalies, but we have an understanding because I'm always asking these guys questions. I'm always trying to learn what, you know, what, when they're coming down on me, what are they looking for? What are they trying to do? You know, as a defenseman, you're trying to communicate, what do you want me to do? Where do you want to go? What position are you going to be in? You know, all these different types of things. So I think that being a goalie does, you know, give you um, a good broad understanding of, you know, every position and, and kind of the, you know, the strategies of the games and the different nuances that go into it. You, you talked about taking your game to sort of the next level and then adding that one thing that people don't maybe think of when they're watching the broadcast, which brings us to sort of this analytics revolution that's happening in, in hockey. And I, I think it's really, really good information, but you really have to understand it <laughs> for it yeah. to be kind of, for it to kind of become good information. Right. So mm -hmm. how do you take, how do you view that that side of 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 hockey statistical data that's analytics driven Corsi scores all this other stuff how do you how do you view it personally and then how do you view it becoming part of the broadcast as as it evolves yeah that's a that's a great uh question because it is such a huge part of the game now and it's something that you know when i got into this i wanted to learn more about because of that and a lot of players i think initially um, would say, oh, analytics, just, just watch the game and I'll tell you who's playing good type of thing. Well, that's not the case. There's certain themes and there's a lot, um, you know, of valuable information that can really, I, I feel we try to use it on our broadcast of something that we see and then we check the numbers and see if it backs up, you know, if it kind of makes a good storyline because, you know, baseball and all these types, they've been doing analytics and, and, and a lot of fans really love, you know, the analytics side of it and, and to look at the numbers and to see, you know, it's, it's an easy way to compare this guy to this guy or, you know, on different teams and what they're doing. And Ellie Tolvanen is a guy right now that, you know, he doesn't have a, he's an offensive guy and uh, he's got a couple goals, but like analytically he's doing a really good job. He's, you know, you talk about the, doing it so fans can understand his expected goals for that's meaning the types of chances that he's getting or when he's on the ice with whoever opposed to the chances that they're giving up is at 60%, 62%. So that means, you know, he's getting generating uh, no matter who he's on the ice with a lot more chances than he's giving up. So it does tell a story when he's not scoring all the time. You're like, Hey, you know what? He's playing pretty good. And this, you know, is a, uh, a precursor of maybe, you know, there's, there's more to come or good goals eventually will start happening. So I probably didn't do a great job of explaining it there, but Willie's Willie handles a lot of the analytics. He's into it a lot deeper than I am, but we do try to use both. Like we, we want, we have a certain storyline or a player that we want to look at. And then we dive into some, you know, basic analytics and then try to present that on the broadcast because yeah, you could get totally nerded deep out in that stuff, but it's uh, I like it though. It, it just adds a different element to it. In general, uh, I mean, I, I think you would agree that uh, you would agree that goaltender analysts maybe have a bit of an advantage over the over the uh, somebody who somebody who played out on ice. Um, it, it was, is there anybody that you were when you were coming in though that you saw 
you know, uh, this person is who I want to kind of emulate or this person was really good as I was watching them uh, and, and kind of influenced me uh, maybe want to be a broadcaster. You know, I, I watched a ton of guys. I love, there's certain guys I love for different reasons. I love Darren Pang. I think he's just got that charisma, that personality he gets excited. Bald. Bald. He's, yeah, he's a goalie. He's got, you know, he's uh but I, I like that part of, of him. And I thought, you know, I, I could never be that, but I like certain elements of what he did. And I think it's, it's entertaining. I enjoy listening to him and watching him. Eddie Olchuk's another guy. I think he's a little more subdued, but he really has a, a good knack for, you know, what we we're talking about before explain, giving you a little, you know, a little valuable tidbit in a, in a critical way that's, um, not bashing somebody, but it's really telling the story uh, of what's going on out there. Um, I really like him. Keith Jones, he does the pregame uh, or intermission stuff with uh, with NBC. I love his presence. I just think he's awesome. I thought Stu Grimson, again, I, I could never talk like that, but I thought he's one of the best at, you know, explaining every little detail and painting a, a picture. So there's a lot of guys that I did watch. Those are some of the ones that you know, I really paid more attention to just because I enjoyed listening to them and watching them a lot. Um, so those are kind of the ones that, you know, kind of helped me, I guess, try to formulate, you know, a plan of kind of how I was, I was going to be, but those guys are, those guys are some of the best. All right. Super random question here. When I think you would have been playing, I don't remember exactly what year this was when we put the, the rocket ship fireball on the puck for like a year. Yeah. What did, what did players think of that crap? Oh, stupid. Awful. <laughs> Awful. Especially during the game. I mean, if you want to do that in a, like, I, I, I like though now, I don't know what you think um, about it, but I like when they come on the ice and then they have all the players, it's like a video game. They have all the players or sometimes um, I think they tried it. They tried in the all-star game or something like that. They're coming up on a two on one and they would quickly flash who's got the puck and who's on the other side. I find that that pretty helpful because then, you know, okay, Forsberg's over here, Arvidsson's the the guy on the other side. What's going to happen, kind of thing. But yeah, that that ver it was versus, and it was so distracting. Your eyes, it's the only thing you can look at. It's the only thing you can watch. You don't so you don't look at any other part of the game. You just watch that stupid whatever it was. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what to call it. Like <laughs> I, I don't know. Streak. I don't. That was awful. So you've already mentioned, um, you know, Stu Grimson. Halgo only played here a couple of years, but obviously is back here. You're back here. JP Dumont is back. Is is, is sort of settled here. Um, a lot of these guys that have, have been either traded away or retired have homes here still. Um, people put roots down here through the Nashville Predators. And I don't think that's the case with the Titans. I don't think that's the case for, for maybe a lot of hockey cities. W what is it about? I mean, we love Nashville, obviously. So yeah, Nashville's great. But like outside of that, what is it about guys from other, literally other countries coming to America and deciding, no, I want, I want to raise my kids in Nashville through hockey why, why has that been a thing that's happened you know it's and it's more and more ryan smith who is captain canada he was uh, living up in edmonton he's moved down here uh george peros um is moved down there's a bunch of guys moved down here bobby ryan plays with detroit he lives here there's just a ton of guys that i mean hell duchene moved here early <laughs> moved here early for crying out loud you knew that if you didn't know that was wasn't going to happen i mean the planet you're living on right but um yeah it, it's crazy it's just james neal still lives here you know it's just uh it's i guess everybody in the, in the world's moving here right now so california new york everyone's coming here but it, it really is just it's such a great spot and there's guys from the first year the predators uh jay moore and dan kesmer they were two of the first to make this home and they only played here you know, one season. So it's just, I've been all over the place. I've lived in, you know, thousand different cities. This one just, it feels like home. And I think a lot of guys, you know, have that feeling when they spend time here. When, when you were done in the NHL, you, you opted to go to Europe for a few years. Um, why did you decide to keep playing in Europe? And, and most, I think most fans are not, you might, they might be aware of like the level and like the KHL, um, or maybe uh, one or two other leagues, but give people an idea of what the standard of play is like and, and why, and, and kind of how you fit into that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was more of a decision. I, I, I could have went to a uh, training camp with Florida on a, on a free agent tryout 
And, it, you know, I was at the point in my career, I was lucky enough to play till I was, I think my last year, I was 38, 37. I can't remember whatever it was um, in 2013. But um, I just wanted to go over and keep playing. I still, my body felt great. And I just wanted to have a year with our family. You don't have to travel as much over there. You're never, you know, you're never spending nights in a hotel and you just get to, it was an opportunity to, you know, enjoy a, a different uh, lifestyle and culture. And I'd been over there earlier in my career and played some world championships. And it's just, um, it's a really great experience, but the level of hockey over there is really good. It's a lot of skilled hockey. It's not as physical. Obviously there's bigger ice surface. Um, you know, Germany, it was my last year I played out. That, that's a great league. There's a lot of good German hockey players as we've seen, um, you know, dry and now Stutzla, I think is, you know, really high pick for Ottawa and, um, they, so they have a lot of those young players playing in that league. So there's a lot of high skill and there's a lot of North Americans too. So half the team is, is North American. So you got guys that are on German passports or guys that have played in the NHL American league, whatever it was. So you're getting really good quality hockey. And it's just a really, it was a really amazing life experience. You know, we've got to go to Oktoberfest, you know, that's a, that's a kind of a bucket list thing. And that was, that was unbelievable. So das like, real, like real Oktoberfest, real Oktoberfest. Yeah, it was, it was, oh my God, it was unbelievable. I saw some people chug some beers like you would not believe. <laughs> Did you ever drink from like one of like the big class boots or das like boot. one of like the giant steins? Oh yeah. The giant steins for sure. Like they had the, the barmaids carrying those. I don't know how the heck they, their, their hands and wrists must've been just dead after that. It just, was, just monster forearms. Oh my God. They carry like, I don't know, like, like eight at a time on in each hand. They have a wrist. I think now they have like a brace. So they have something, but still it's, it's nuts. <laughs> so uh, speaking of culture and, and again, I, I know if, if I, if you spoke to any of these guys, they would say, no, 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 hang on. Our countries are very different, but, but Finland, Sweden, you know, Norway, Switzerland, they are, they're sort of largely in the same place in the world. And there's a lot of similarities. I know that they're very different and I'm not trying to broad brush all of them, but they seem very well adjusted. Um, how would you describe Russian hockey players in America? Uh, well, I, Russia is a different world. I went to world championships over there in Moscow and that's, it's a different world. It's, it's, it's crazy. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And it's a little bit intimidating over there as well, because in the other countries that you mentioned, like in Scandinavia and Germany, most people speak English as well, very fluently. So that obviously makes life a lot easier for, you know, somebody like me going over there, North Americans, but Russia is a different animal. And I feel like when a Russian player comes over here, um, unless they really want to play, you know, cause they can go to the KHL and, and make way more money than they'll make over here, unless they're, you know, Ovechkin or some of those guys, but it's a, uh, it's a different ball game. But I, I feel like now the, all the good Russian players, they want to come here. They want to play in this league. Um, but it's, it's definitely a different culture and they're very um, kind of, I don't know if it's flamboyant's the right word, but feisty, they're feisty. feisty, a lot of personality. Like back in the day, Russian players used to be, you know, monotone, didn't, didn't talk a lot, didn't show very much personality, the kind of gritty old school kind of Russian type of vibe. And now these guys, you know, you look what's going on with Panarin. Uh, very outspoken about the government and the, you know now they're all about they've got great personalities they're smiling they're having fun they're doing you know when they score goals like awesome celebrations the goalies are jumping hugging their teammates it's it's a it's completely different 180 from you know back in the day when I used to play with the, the types of players but I think now they want to come over here they want to play in the best league in the world when you were when you were over there uh compare living in Italy versus living in Germany which did you you and the family prefer well Italy where I lived was actually it was northern Italy so it was they actually it was German speaking <laughs> so <laughs> it was actually kind of like it was kind of like living in uh in Germany but you know we lived it was oh man it was the most beautiful place I've ever seen it was a 30 minute drive up this mountain winding roads they had vineyards on the roads everything in this little town I live was like such a self-sustaining there was farms all over the place they got all their food you go to the restaurant all the food is from that the mountain and um so if you wanted any of the Italian flavor you'd have to go down the mountain and then maybe you know about half an hour um you know south to, to get some Italian flavor but I I love I love the fact that we could do both so you, you know you have the German you know you have the lederhosen and all that kind of stuff and the beers and then if you want to have some wine and some some pasta you just go half an hour down the road and you kind of get that that flavor too so it, it was really cool 
so Chris, we're we're taping this on Thursday. There is a game tonight. Um, just to take people through what your day looks like, um, getting ready for a broadcast. Uh, as far as just sort of how's the day laid out? What are you doing at what points? And and how are you getting ready? And and how does it how how's the whole thing unfold for you? Yeah, it, it's. I mean, now I think everybody. It's Zoom Central. You get up in the morning. We have a we have a production meeting, Zoom meeting that lasts for about an hour, trying to you know, get the open and all the elements that we want, the storylines that are coming in and what we're going to talk about. Um, uh, we go through the pregame show, uh, the, the open of the game. And then, like I said, just all the stuff that we want to talk about in game and that lasts an hour. And then we get on with the coach. Um, after that, usually as soon as he's available, um, Lindsay will interview him. Pete Weber will do an interview and then we all get to ask questions uh, directly to him and he gives us some of the inside scoops you know lineups and you know strategies we'll ask hey what are you thinking about this guy this is what we're seeing and he'll elaborate and give his point of view so it's really really valuable stuff there um, and then after that Willie Hal and I will do um, a little kind of pre-game little zoom segment they put out on social media so that lasts about you know 20 minutes with a little bit of the pre-prep and then the, the video and then the middle of the day I'm pretty good and I head to the rink probably uh, two hours before the game. And again, we go through all the elements, get set up. I finish all my, my prep work and tonight, which will be yesterday when this airs, it will be, uh, <laughs> we're doing uh, we're going to do an on ice open. So I get to go down on the ice and Willie's going to be up in the booth. So we're trying some, some different things to, you know, try to up the entertainment value or whatever. Um, yeah. So I have to get there a little early and we're going to plan that out and, you know, try to see if we can do something that's kind of cool let's just say, cause again, half of the league has to go through this every single year. Let's say there are eight, 10 games to go and Preds are eliminated from the playoffs. That's not going to happen. Obviously it's not going to happen, but let's just oh, say no. hypothetically yeah. it does. What, what does, what is it that you're trying to do in those sort of pregame moments? And like, what, what are the, that just seems like a, that, that that's obviously a difficult thing to do, but half of the league has to do it every year. So how, what are the stories you're trying to tell at that point? I mean, you haven't had to go through this, <laughs> frankly, because yeah. you've been in the playoffs every year. Yeah. Well, no, that's a good point. And I've thought about it too, because, you know, there's a lot of, depending where your team is, as, is at a certain point of the season, your buyers are sellers, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to stay put. You have assets that you could get something in return. You have to move them. And I think for me, and then the guys that stay here, they're, they're fighting for a job, you know, if they want to stay here. So there's always something to play for. And I think, you know, there has to be purpose, especially for fans. Um, and, you know, if that were the case, which like you said, of course it won't be, but, uh, but, you know, you have to, you have to look to the future and you have to see, all right, here's the assets we got. We gave up a lot to get this guy or whatever the situation is. And then I think you just have to, uh, you know, reinforce that these guys, they always have something uh, to play for. So the, the games matter. So if the games matter, I think then the fan, the, you know, the, it matters to the fans. So that's kind of the approach that I would take with that. In the, in the run up to the deadline, how much, how much are you conscious of talking about player movement on, uh, on air versus not? And, and can you, can you delve into that? You, I mean, you could, I, I don't like to speculate anything. I mean, but yeah, you, you have to, you know, tell what the situation is. If your team is out of the playoffs and, you know, you're not going to keep your team together, I'm not going to get any, any, into any rumors or specific players, but I think you can point out the fact that, Hey, this guy's got, you know, one year left and he's a valuable asset. And this could be a big, you know, a piece that another team would like to add and they're going to give up a, you know, a ton of stuff back draft picks or whatever. So I, I don't, I won't get into any specific rumors personally. I don't think that's, you know, that's, it's all speculation. I'm not about to do that, but I think it's okay to talk about the the situation and, and what are some potential, you know, outcomes or, or things like that, that, that could happen, but not, nothing, nothing rumorous, just kind of stating the, the, the situation. I think the team's in. Chris, always love listening to you, man. Always love talking with you. Uh, love the broadcast. Keep up the good work. Um, give me some more like offensive zone, shift offensive zone shift for like the third line i'd like a little bit more of that okay, yeah, okay. But, but 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 otherwise you guys are amazing appreciate it and uh love talking with you man thanks for giving us some time awesome man this is so fun thanks for thanks for having me anytime if you guys want to do it again i'm down
Special thanks to Chris Mason for joining us. Love talking to that guy, Steve. Just um, a fantastic personality, down to earth, one of the nicer guys. Got a chance to get to know him. Just one of the nicer dudes in, in the business and uh, no ego. You can hear him there, Steve, talk about how he recognized how much, how little he knew when he got into the business and, and still how much he wants to compete and get better every day. I, I think it's, I really like the guy and I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation. Yeah, legitimately nice guy. You you want to see guys like that uh, succeed? I, I, I'm 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 always fascinated when when ex athletes try to get into broadcasting. It's not easy to do, even in a sport that's easier. Like for instance, the NFL, uh, where you have kind of big gaps and ways to you know kind of set pieces that you can work on. We've seen how many ex athletes have we seen come and go because they just they were just not compelling enough switch to hockey an infinitely harder sport to call and and to analyze because you have to be in and out so fast and you have to, you can't you can't drone on for 10 minutes at a time you have to you know you may get cut off by a play you may get cut off by um, by a restart there may be a break in game action that you're going to have to get out of really really quickly it's a constantly moving it's a constantly moving game I have a lot of respect for guys that can, can call hockey well because it is it is not easy at all. No, it's not. And I listen, I think he he sort of explained he's just going to be a positive guy because I think he's just sort of a positive person in general. Um, but I think the rules are don't make it personal. Don't cross the line. I'm available to, to, to talk to you guys if you had a problem with anything that I said and that you have to address, you know, at the end of the conversation there, he says, well, look, we have to address that this could be a situation that, that our team is in, we can't just ignore the fact that they might be trading pieces away because they're not good enough to make the playoffs. So I think that's a tough thing to do, but there's a way to do it. And as, as I think he, exp- I think he explained it in, in a really good way, I, to piggyback off of what you're saying about joining the media, and I'm not going to mention any names here, but I've worked with plenty of athletes and former coaches who did not give a shit and try, who just didn't try. And you can tell with, with athletes who really, really work at it, Herb Street, for example, and maybe guys who didn't at the beginning of their career, Desmond Howard, for example. <laughs> so on the same show, you could tell which guy was more prepared, right? So I, I think I love that about Chris. You know, all these guys in Nashville do a really great job of really busting their tail because broadcasting, strangely, it's a profession that people do for a living and train to do for a living, okay? <laughs> Just want to put it out there. <laughs> Just saying. Just you- saying. He is a nice guy, and and you heard him say, you know, look, I'm not going to be the guy who goes after people on air. It's one thing to to have that sort of as your mindset, but it's another to still execute within that and not come off as Pollyanna, not come off as some kind of team show. You can be smart and analytical and and help a fan understand a game without necessarily without necessarily criticizing a team and. and Quite frankly, it would be really easy to criticize this Predators team this year, particularly just how they started games, how they've fallen behind, how they have how they have not competed against some of the better teams in the league. It would be really, really easy to 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 dump on them, uh, and so to to not take that tack and still come off and, and still come off in a, in a really smart way. I think is a is a, is a testament to to Chris because. Otherwise, you can you can come off as the team shell really, really easily, and the first thing that happens is fans start to discount what you say. Yep, yep. There, there's trust me. There's no question uh, about that. So special thanks to Chris Mason. Of course, we do appreciate it. Uh, always love talking to that guy. Uh, all right. So recommendations here at the end of the show. Uh, I'm gonna shill for you a little bit here, but I will let you do a quick synopsis of of your own story. I've got two stories. I think Nashvilleians need to read. Uh, Honky Tonk Blues, The Pandemic and the Changing Culture of Lower Broadway, written by Stephen Hale in the Nashville scene. Uh, it's all about sort of what do we want Lower Broadway to be? Uh, and the question he sort of asks writ large is, is it a is it sort of like culturally still important music stuff that's happening or is it just a drunken playground? And it is a great story, but even better finish. It's <laughs> just the, the <laughs> I last... Think I think you're talking about the Steve Smith portion of the uh, <laughs> the last, the last. I don't know what it is. Like third, the third. Last, oh, so, so Hale good. talks to talks to some particularly prominent bar owners, Barrett Hobbs, uh, Tom Morales, uh, and Steve Smith, and it ends. Does he talk to Steve Smith? Well, <laughs> the the end of it is this phone call where 
Smith admits he's been drinking. He's chilling the most. He's chilling the most. <laughs> a solid, solid reference there by, uh, by oh, Hale in the story. He is drinking with Kid Rock. <laughs> of course. Kid Rock, who is in the background trying to make a D's nuts joke. Okay, you're ruining it for people. Let him go it's, read it. Let him I go mean, it is, it. it is just it's, like... You're awesome. reading like this really interesting story about about Laura Broad and its place, and then you get to the end of it, and you're just <laughs> it, it's just like I can't turn away from this train wreck. Oh, it's so good! It's and I I love how it's laid out. Stephen Hale's an excellent writer, so go go check that one out. Of course, also I noticed a byline in the New York Times by Steve Cavendish and a little few ups, others. little upstart publication. Yeah, a few, and a few other names, of course, on this as well. Behind the Nashville bombing, a conspiracy theorist stewing about the government. Uh, I will give you, I don't want to try to explain your story. So I will let you, <laughs> I, I think Nashville people need to read it, but if you want to give people the quick elevator pitch as to why they should go read it. Uh, we, we were trying to, one, one of the things that, that we grappled with, so it's myself, uh, Neil McFarquhar, who is a national correspondent for the Times, and then Jamie McGee, who's, a, who's another freelancer here in town like me. Uh, Jamie used to work for the Tennessee it's a really good reporter. Neil is Neil has a Pulitzer Prize, so I mean, <laughs> there's some there's some firepower in there working on this piece. But yeah, we what were, did you do? We, uh, uh, nothing. <laughs> Sat there and watched them do their jobs. We're we've been struggling with, and and I think this is what everybody has struggled with since since the Christmas Day bombing was who is Tony Warner and why did he do this? And so this piece is is a is an attempt to. At, at least understand a little bit who he was. We have some interviews in there that I think nobody else has and some details that yep. nobody else has. And we got all of his writings and examined them and what it paints is a portrait of a, a, a guy who was obsessed kind of with conspiracies and some of the stuff that he, that and a little bit of this has been out in the press before about the sort of the lizard men conspiracies, David Icke, and, uh, who's a British uh, conspiracy theorist has been pushing this for years. Warner was believed some of that. He believed that 9-11 was an inside job. He believed some other things. And so it's this kind of look at kind of in the internet age and in the age of conspiracy theories, how this guy came to be, believe what he did and, and why he ended up on Christmas Day in an RV on Second Avenue, blowing himself up. Yeah, I'm glad I let you explain that. <laughs> but it's um, a great, it's a great story. Go read it. Both of them are excellent stories. They're worth your time. And uh, as Nashvillians, I think they're very important. So uh, go check them both out. My recommendation is another time story from the other side of the world. There is there was a piece which came out on Sunday or Monday. I can't remember which. Um, the headline is, 10 years after Christchurch quake, a hush where 8,000 homes once stood. Now, if you don't remember, 10 years ago in New Zealand, there was a series of earthquakes that just rocked Christchurch, and which is one of the, one of the two main cities in New Zealand. They're still trying to recover from it. The second of the quakes killed like 170 people. There was massive property damage. And so they have been, I mean, the city has been trying to respond to this for years and they've created what's called the red zone. And the red zone was this area they describe as about, uh, about the size of two central parks that they deemed uninhabitable uh, for a variety of different reasons, but how the quake affected the land, the structures. And so the government went in and bought all of those folks out of their houses. They they scraped the houses off the properties and they just let the let nature recover this land. And so the roads are still through there, although they don't. I don't think they. Uh, you think you can walk them, but you can't drive through. You know, so people are using this essentially as like a giant park. And what happens when you let nature reclaim uh, an area? You know, in in Nashville, we're we're at such a premium for space now, and we're you know that we're we're tearing down one house and putting two up in its place. They they have a housing crunch there too, and that's part of the story. But they've taken this big area and just completely transformed it into this nature preserve. And I have not read the story, but I'm assuming that my my hunch here is that that nature moves a lot quicker than you think, and that it can re regenerate itself. A lot quicker than you think and it can it can it can do amazing things is, is, is what I, I have not read it but i'm assuming 
you, that's you, the direction you, it's going. You assume correctly, and and one and and so the the story talks a lot about the tensions there because it was not a an easy decision to do. There are yeah. some people who refuse to leave. It, it's just a fascinating story, and I clicked on it by accident. I was looking for something else, and literally I, I just raced through this story. It was so compelling and, and good. And the, and the photography is outstanding. It's, it's the story you didn't know you needed to read. Well, I guess I'm going to know what I'm doing as soon as we're done recording. Um, so I'm going to go do that go read that story. Can't wait. Um, all right. Special thanks, of course, to Chris Mason for, for hanging out with us. Special thanks to Jaspers on West End. Jaspers! I believe it's, it, I have at least two sources now that have told me that it is the next evolution of the sports bar in Nashville. There's That's what park. I hear. The There's kids three, are saying it. There's free parking, 9,000 square feet, lots of places to socially distance. Free parking. It's got amazing food, great place to watch the game, gold standard cocktail. We're working on a fringe element cocktail and a lamestream cocktail, but they're very difficult to do right now. We're working on it, folks. Okay? We're working on it. <laughs> All right? We're efforting. Go to Jasper's. Support the Jasper's. podcast. Share the podcast. Rate the podcast. Review the podcast. And go to Jasper's. Steve, where can people find you? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Scavendish. You can find me at Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. This has been Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network.